Welcome to Something Came From Baltimore. I am your host, Tom Gowker. And before we get into the show, it's a great opportunity to chat about the podcast. Please subscribe, comment, and share with five people, your friends, who love music as much as you do. We want you all to be a part of that Be More Music scene. Today, on Something Came From Baltimore, we chat with saxophonist Dave McMurray. Dave got his big break with the funk band Was Not Was with superstar producer Don Was. Don Was is now the president of Blue Note Label, and that is where you'll find the latest Dave McMurray recording, Grateful Dedication. And you guessed it, it's not a cover record of the Grateful Dead band as much as a reinterpretation via jazz expression and improvisation. The story goes that in 2019, Dave McMurray finally met and played with Grateful Dead's Bob Weir and got the Grateful Dead bug and the interest to plow through the Dead's catalog to get 10 recordings and you get a summer feel-good jam band album. In this interview, we're going to find out if he was drinking with me in a late-night hotel in St. Petersburg in 1990. And we're also going to get more information on the lead-off single, Loser. How did he get Betty LeVette on vocals and Bob Weir to play on the track? Let's sample Loser from the album Grateful Dedication. I'm asking for is ten gold dollars and I could pay you back with just Via Zoom, Dave McMurray, welcome to Something Came From Baltimore. Hey, it's great to talk to you, man. I want to put you back in the Wayback Machine. It's 1990. Okay, so you were with uh, Was Not Was, and you were just touring on the Are You Okay album. You were invited to Camelot Music's convention in St. Petersburg. I was a Camelot Music record store manager. Yeah, you guys played... And then, like, stayed around. I, the the Was Brothers may have left, but most of the band members stayed around for the whole weekend. There was a time that I was in the hotel room with a Sweet Pea kept on telling us to keep it down so we didn't get booted out. He had nails, fingernails that were pointy, like they uh, like, Sweet Pea. Yeah. They were, oh yeah. They were very scary. <laughs> yeah, well, Sweet Pea, we used to we he had to he we used to call him like pimp nails because he would <laughs> he would be. Filing them and polishing them and keeping them nice every day. <laughs> they were immaculate. <laughs> you, you were you were drawn to him. You couldn't stop looking at him. Uh-huh. <laughs> he, he was definitely a character from the first day I met him. That, that's how he was. <laughs> do, do you think you were in that hotel room with us, or does that not ring a bell? I'm not sure because I would usually be hanging anywhere it was some place to hang. I would be hanging. I would be surprised if I wasn't in that room. <laughs> you guys, were just... I remember Camelot music though. I do remember yeah. Camelot music. That situation. Yeah. Oh, okay. What was it like growing up in Detroit? You're at a point where, you know, you had Parliament, Funkadelic, all that Motown, Iggy Pop, and the Stooges, and then the decline of the city. Really, just you know, you had two million people living there during that time period. What was it like as a musician or a fan of music? As crazy as it got, music was kind of flourishing. Because it was lots of musicians, it was lots of uh, 
desperation music going on. So, I mean, and growing up in Detroit, we it was such a, it was a cool thing for us music because it had such a diverse music going on, you know? So any kind of music that I could wanted to hear, I would hear it. If I didn't want to hear it, I'd hear it. And you had great combinations of music. So you, and I, remember, I remember looking at a sign in, the, in Ann, Arbor, Ann Arbor and it had like a festival with like MC5 and Farrell Sanders and Sunrise. I'm like, what kind of, fe- what is that? <laughs> you know, what? how could that, all that music work together? But that's kind of what was going on in Detroit. It was like a, a big melting pot of music. So it was lots of things going on. Not a lot of money flourishing. <laughs> that's for sure. You know, it wasn't a lot of money going on, but it was lots of music going on everywhere. So it was a good point for me to learn music because I was hanging every circle, which was my thing. You know, I like if any music I heard on the radio, I would try to hear myself as a saxophone player in it, the B-Fire's music. Being in the band of Was Not Was and now Don Was is running Blue Note Records. Did you ever look at him at the 1980s when you're working with him or when you're in yeah. the 1990s and say, wow, he's going to go somewhere. Like he's going to, he's going to be. Uh, running no, the whole, no, he was the most, I met him in the 80s. And when I met him, he was the, at the time, one of the guys that was in my band, he did a session with him and he came back and he said, Dave, I did a session, a new wave session. That's what he called it. I was like, what? Really? He's like, yeah. He said, I think the guy's going to call you. His name's Don Woods. And I was like, well, okay. I had heard a little bit about him because he also played jazz. But when I met him, it was the craziest situation because he was, Don was at that time. We The session started at midnight. And so, you know, I, that w- which was really different at the time. And then when we, when he was playing me the music, it was the first album. He really <laughs> only played me bass lines and loops. So he would just say solo. He says, play right here. And then he, was, he meant like not normal playing. I mean, you know, like he knew what I did. So he's like, nah, play whatever you feel. Don't feel like you got to play commercial or something. So ended up, we played all night and it was a great session, but I didn't even know really what the music sounded like. I just heard what I played. And months later, when I heard it, it was the craziest music ever. <laughs> I mean, because it had all these soul vocals. And then his idea was that when he, when I met him, he, he said, well, it's going to be just like uh, if a funk band, if like Elvin Jones and Joe Henderson was playing in a funk band. You know, in a, in a, you know, like a parliament band and all mixed together, you know, so it'd be like new wave and dance music. And I, I was looking at him like, okay, this is the craziest ideal in the world. I like it. I'm the, like, I'm the right person to be here. But when you're looking at him, I knew he had something going on because everything he did was totally different. Every edit he did, every musical thing he did, it was a odd combination because he dug dance music like I did. But he dug avant-garde jazz. He could play standards. He had kind of this big eclectic thing. And you knew something was going to happen. You know, and, and we remained friends. I met him in the 80s, and then we, we remained friends all these years. Let's sample a track from 1983, Was Not Was Recording, from Born to Laugh at Tornadoes. It's Man versus the Empire Brain Building. Man versus woman and man versus the empire brain building. Man versus woman and man versus 
this album, Tribute to the Grateful Dead, called The Grateful Dedication. It came out July 16, 2021 on Blue Note, but you really weren't a Grateful Dead fan until you met Bob Weir in 2019. Yeah, you know, I just knew about them. Of course, you know, I knew their hits and I knew the reputation that was with them and all of that. And but that was it. I knew the songs, but I wasn't, you know, I didn't follow them, but I was always trying to figure it out. Like, what, what is it? I know they have hits, but this is more than that. This is bigger than that. It's, it's funny, when I met Bob Weir and I knew that was what it was about, I still didn't really understand it, but I was a fan of it because I knew that they were fans of all the people I love. I knew that they were fans of Miles Davis. And when I saw Miles Davis opened up for him at the Fillmore. I was like, this was years ago. I was like, what? wow, that's crazy. You know, it's like, this is some music I got to investigate. But I just, I never, you know, just music. But when I met him, when we played one of his songs, the, it was incredible what happened. And, you know, and I just watched the audience. It was like they were hypnotized. That was what made me go, I got to investigate this for real. You know, besides seeing the fact that Brad Marcellus played with him or that Colvin, you know, when you see that, you go, wow, what what makes them attracted to that? You know, the, uh, the band attracted to them and them attracted to the band. So I just dived into it. You know, you know they have a couple albums, about 14 studio <laughs> albums and the live recordings are, you know, just so many of them. Maybe uh, difficult to pick out the ones you want because you really... You went with Grateful Dead hits, but not top 40 hits. In other words, a deadhead would know these songs where other people wouldn't, like the 11th. Right. doesn't get a lot of radio play. I think you picked out like their career, a wide spectrum of music, and represented that on this album. Yeah, because they, I mean, they have so much material. So in, in looking at the songs, I would just kind of listen to songs. And, you know, being a saxophone player, I knew I had to grab songs with the great intros and great melodies. So I just, the first song I picked was Dark Star. And I just picked it. I heard it. I was like, oh, that intro. And then the, it is so melodic. I was like, let me just try this and see what happens. You know, see see how it goes. It was the first one, and then I that and I kind of went song by song. You know, I picked the next song, and I go, okay, I need one like this, and then I just start listening to their studio albums, and then I start listening to live records because they were all, all the live records would stand for years, and the they would actually change, they would change the beat and stuff, and that is that's just totally intriguing to me. So I picked songs that had the melody that I knew people would, would not necessarily. Uh, not like that hit song, but they had a strong melody that if they heard it instrumentally, they would know what it was. I think that's one of the key points of why this album really works well, is that you took the essence of each song and did what they did, which is kind of create, you know, something a little different. One of the songs that I wanted to talk about was Dark Star. I think your interpretation was great. I think it's a, yeah, I hope it gets a lot of airplay because anyone who's kind of a, a rock fan or a dead fan or even a jazz fan will appreciate this whole full album.
before we get into the interview, we played a segment of Loser. When you had the video for with Betty Levette and you have Bob Weir. If we've already played that, how did you get Bob in there and how'd you get Betty? And I knew I was going to have uh, at least one vocals on there. And, it, it, you know, my thought was it was going to be Sweet Pea. All while I was recording the instrumentals, I was trying to think of an instrumental, you know, Sweet Pea passed unexpected. Oh, he was actually coming to Detroit last June. He was on his way and we were going to record. But he passed before that. It really kind of, it freaked me out. It freaked everybody out. And so that's just, I was like, well, what am I going to do? Like, who would I get? So I just started thinking of vocalists to fit into the situation. And so I, all all kinds of different sounds and stuff like that. And I was talking about it to my manager and, and then she mentioned Betty Lizette. And I was like, wow, that could be good right there. You know, I was like, let me, let me, let's think about that. And so she was talking to Don about it. And then he said, hey, you, you ever, you know, Betty Lizette? And it was like, whoa, he mentioned Betty Lizette too. I was like, I think that's a good sign. I had no contact with Betty Lizette at all. She's from Detroit, but I didn't know her at all but i had friends that played so we just said well let's see about how if we can make that happen to her Her first thing was what the grateful dead (laughs) like why me (laughs) like what do i have to do with the grateful dead you know and i was like no you just be perfect you know and she said well let me listen to it but when she did it her interpretation of the lyric was incredible. It was more than I expected. It was different than I expected because she really got into the lyric. Once she found her space, she said, so she kept saying, what is, what am I? What is it? She said, so I'm like Calamity Jane. That's what she put. That's what she said. I'm like Calamity Jane. I was like, yeah. And she's like, okay. And I think that was a motivation for her. And that's when she came up with that interpretation of it. And when she did that vocal, that's kind of led to Bob Weir because I was, you know, I wanted to get Bob Weir. <laughs> you know, of course, that would be a dream to get Bob Weir on it. Pretty much when he heard her vocal, that made that happen. Because <laughs> he he heard her vocal and was like, whoa. <laughs> you know, I mean, just her interpretation of the lyric brought that on. It brought a whole new emotion. And so, I mean, it just kind of all came together. That was the last song we did. Paper number morning sky looks so phony. Dawn is breaking everywhere. Light a candle, curse the glare. Draw the curtains, I don't care because it's alright. vocals of Herschel Boone for Touch of Grey. Looking at it, your past, like Cross with him, just as equally as long as uh, Don was. And just by hearing his voice, he sounded very young you know, to me. I love the interpretation of Touch of Grey. I'll be honest with you, in 1987, when that came out, I was never a fan of that song because I didn't relate to it. But now as a right. as an older person, songs like Everything Must Change and, and Touch of Grey, make a lot more sense to me. The arrangement is fantastic. I smell a hit on this one, and I hope it, it's a big hit for you. You've worked with Herschel 
for years, off and on. Oh, yeah, for years. He, I mean, he is such a great interpreter. Of song. I mean, just a great vocalist in general and writer. He's like one of those guys with perfect pitch. I met him when he was probably 16 or something like that. And he's, he was just an incredible talent then, you know, far ahead of what his voice sounds like. So I just tried to come up with a arranger that I thought he was going to dig. I knew he was going to dig the lyrics mm-hmm. because of the irony in the lyrics. But he had not, when I told him Tessie Gray, he didn't think of the, you know, the original with the video and all that. He didn't even think of that. Because I, I just sent him my demo. And when he heard it, and then I heard, I gave him something with the lyrics, he was like, Dave, yeah, I can, I can do this. But he had not heard the original yet, which was hilarious to me, you know, because he, he didn't put it together. And once we got it all down, I said, now I want to send you the original. <laughs> and when he heard it, he just cracked up. And he's like, hey, I didn't even think of that being the song. <laughs> that, that song, the original, is such a happy song. And the lyrics aren't necessarily so happy. <laughs> oh. They're kind of dark lyrics. But when he sang it, he actually, I, I loved his interpretation because he actually had a little hope in his, his interpretation. Is hope for it because, you know, like we're going to make it, you know, at the end. I was like, now that's interesting. You interpreted it kind of differently than the original. <laughs> you know, the, the original music was so happy, but it was pretty dark. You know, he's like, are you going to get a touch? You know, every silver line that he tells her, you, it has a touch of gray. Like, you're going to feel it, too. Here is the sample of the original 1987 single from the Grateful Dead called Touch of Gray from the In the Dark album. starts off with uh, another like major score on this album which is fire on the mountain which to me is a great summer song we're getting into fall the people who are listening to this album is going to have to think of summer when they're playing it in their car while they're going to work <laughs> well it's one of those as soon as i heard it i immediately loved groove of song i just loved it so i was just like well, let me i kind of want to do it the same but i just add a little bit of something but it ended up when we did it, I just, everybody liked it. But what made me really happy about it, because one day I was going into a grocery store and I'm playing my my version, you know, just listening to it, trying to fix, you know, make sure, see what I'm going to do to it next. And I had the windows up and I'm, I'm, I'm sitting in the car before I get out listening to it. And so when I got out, 
I got out of the car and then the guy who was next to me, he said, he said, you need a, need a basket? I was like, uh, yeah. And then he gave me the basket. He said, anything for a guy playing fire on the mountain. I said, oh, you heard that? And he said, yeah, I love the great, yeah, that's, I was like, wow, okay, you recognized it. And outside of the car, that's a good sign. You know, it's like. Dave, thank you very much. I can't wait for you to, to be in the neighborhood. It's really weird. I, like you launched this in the spring because I could see you do a lot of festivals. A lot of people would have ran out to, to hear you. Right. I, it's not, there's nothing saying you can't drag this one till next year. Yes, that, that, that's definitely the plan because I've been working like just all the club scene now and it's been going really good because it's a, it, for me, it's a different audience because people are, they stand, I mean, they know it's jazz. But they stand up. Yeah, <laughs> which yeah, is, yeah. Which is big. So, and they stand up and they dance. And the crazier I play, the the more they dance, which is very good. So That's it's, awesome. It's been, yeah, so it's it's been a great experience. So I'm, I'm hoping to carry it over. So you know, going uh down south in a couple of weeks, and then you know going out west, and then hopefully I keep it moving to next year. Book all that stuff because I think people are going to go crazy. So I, I thank you very much for joining me today on Something Came From Baltimore. The album's called Grateful Dedication. It's uh, by Dave McMurray, and it's on Blue Note. came out July 16. It's a summer album that deserves to be played year-round, so I recommend everyone who's listening to, to check it out. Ah, thanks a lot, too, man. And, and i got to get to Baltimore to play. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, we got we got a couple venues for you. Thank you, Dave McMurray, for joining me today on Something Came From Baltimore. Friends, please subscribe to the podcast. You share it with five friends who love music just as much as you do. We want you all to be a part of that Be More music scene.